Good morning and welcome. I'm so glad you joined us this morning an hour earlier than usual, but aren't you glad that we didn't do a sunrise service? <clears throat> Still got to sleep. Oh man, what a wonderful day. You know, early on a Sunday morning, uh, the women went to the grave and they didn't find the body of Jesus. Instead, an angel announced the most powerful words in history. Luke 24, 6 records it, and it just says, the angel said this, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the, the tomb, they told all of these things to the 11 and to the rest. I mean, isn't it true that for the rest of history, that's what we've been doing. We have been telling people about the resurrection of Christ. When you think about how significant this day is, uh, do you know what the year is today? This year, it's 2021, right? And it doesn't matter where you go in the world, it is 2021. You know, what's interesting is as people have gone through history and there's different calendars, everybody had their own calendar. And so it's, when you compare histories of different people, um, everybody had a different calendar. So it's sometimes challenging to know when did things happen? Isn't it amazing that in our entire and the entire globe, we measure the year by the life of Jesus? There's before Christ, and then there's A.D., the year of our Lord. The resurrection in Jesus is the most significant thing in history. Now, for those of us who are Christians, this is a huge encouragement. It's what we celebrate. It's the reason that we meet on Sundays. It informs everything that we think about life. It informs the way we view our future. So this is a wonderful celebration for Christians. Now, if a person's not a Christian, if you don't know the Lord, this is an incredible opportunity. It is an opportunity to come to know Jesus. The most significant issue in any person's life is what they know and believe about the resurrection, how they personally respond to the resurrection of Christ. In John chapter 11, verse 25, um, Jesus said this, and, and he had gone to um, the, the graveside of one of his good friends, Lazarus. And this is what he said to his sister. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looks at her and he says something that's very important. Now we're going to look at the resurrection, but Jesus' last words are very critical for each one of us. This is how he ends. He asks a question. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? This morning we're going to talk about the resurrection of Christ and its significance. And none of us should leave here today without thinking about, do I believe that? And for those of us who are believers, we do believe it, and it informs the way we live. But it is a critical thing. You, you've heard that uh, there are only two guarantees in life, right? You can all tell me what those two guarantees are. What are they? 
Oh, you guys are shouting it out. Death and taxes. And as significant as taxes are, the most important word in that, those two things, is death. Every single one of us is going to face death, and it is significant uh, what is going to happen for us in that moment. You know, if, if this life is all there is, man, that has a significant impact in how we live. If this life is all there is, then we need to get all we can, and we need to do our best to preserve life on this earth. That's one of the things I see in some people's lives. Living as long as possible is the most significant thing for them. Protecting themselves is what drives everything. For those of us who know the Lord, we care about life. But it is not the most important thing that matters, and we have no fear in death. It is very important for us to be prepared for that day that we live this world, leave this world. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And Jesus said these words, and, and they, they kind of frame what we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus says this in Matthew 16.24. He told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now those of us who are believers, we've come to grips with that. We think about that. It actually informs everything that we do. And if you're sitting here today and you have not fully come to grips with that, that is a significant thing to come to grips with. And so we're going to consider uh, three things this morning from 1 Corinthians fi chapter 15. The first is that the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection is a spiritual necessity. It has to be true. It is a spiritual necessity. The second thing is that the resurrection is a historical fact. It did happen. It is a necessity, but it did happen. And the third thing that we're going to consider this morning is that the resurrection of Jesus completely transforms life. It transforms our life. People have been changed by the resurrection. If you are a Christian, if you are a person who has come to know Christ, you have been transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. And that's a transformation right now. But the second thing is that the resurrection of Jesus is a spiritual transformation now, but it is a physical transformation in the future. Um, we are going to be changed. We are going to get a new body. Right now, we live in a temporary body. This body we have is going to die. But when that happens, God is going to give us a new body, a body that will last for eternity. And so the resurrection is a spiritually transforming thing. So in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, this 1 Corinthians 15 is a very long uh, passage, and I hope you're not panicked. It has 58 verses, and we're going to start at the beginning, and we are going to go to the end, and we're going to hit just a little bit in the middle. 
Um, but it is a long chapter about the resurrection. And what's amazing is that the Corinthian church had all kinds of problems. And Paul addresses one of their theological problems here, which there were some people in the church that didn't believe in a resurrection. And so Jesus is going to talk about, or Paul's going to talk about the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we are going to start by considering the fact that the, re- the resurrection is a spiritual necessity. So let's, let's look at this. And this is the gospel message. This is the good news. And so let's look at it. The first four verses. It says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word. I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And then look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is a necessity. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, when you think about the gospel message, there are three necessities, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. In many cases, when people present the gospel, they leave out the resurrection, but that's actually very significant. So I wanna go through briefly what the gospel message is. What is it that Christians believe? What is it that a person needs to know to be saved? And what are the significance? These things are, in some ways, the gospel is so simple. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. But the significance of those things is massive. So he died. You know, a miraculous things happened at the death of Jesus. And we've been looking, uh, we, we've been considering and reading over this last uh, uh, Friday and today, um, the fact that Jesus was crucified. That's a, that's a common thing that we understand. We see a cross and we realize that the cross is a sign of torture and that Jesus was physically tortured and killed. Now here's the significant thing. Jesus is not the only person in history that was crucified, right? There was something very unique about who Jesus was and who Jesus is and what happened when Jesus was on the cross. Uh, The Bible tells us that the death of Jesus, it was unique and it was different than any other person who's died in history who was crucified. For Jesus, he lived a perfect life, and when he died, it's unimaginable that a, that a sinless person died. We know, the Bible tells us, actually in 1 Corinthians 15, that the whole reason that anybody dies is because of sin. God created the world perfect. He made Adam, and Adam would have lived forever. And God told him, in the day you eat of the fruit, in the day that you sin, you will die. And when Adam ate that fruit, and when Adam, he brought about the fall of all mankind. And do you know actually the reason that any of us die is because of sin? Like if you want to know, like is sin a real thing? I don't know, just ask yourself, do people die? Well, what, where did we start? 
we started with that there's one, two guarantees, but one significant guarantee in life is that we're going to die. And so the fact that Jesus died on the cross was unique because Jesus never sinned. He did not inherit a sin nature, and that makes his death unique. And do you know that it was obvious actually during the death of Christ that his death was, like any, uh, was unlike any other when you think about the Romans, their job was to crucify people. They, they took many people and they nailed them to the cross. And there was, a, there was a Roman centurion who had nailed Jesus to the cross. And when he watches Jesus die, his response is to say this. It says in Matthew 27, 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled, filled with awe, reverence, fear. And they said, truly, this was the Son of God. When Jesus died, he fulfilled all kinds of prophecies. And when he died, he died for the sins of mankind. Now, this is something that's significant. Every single one of us is going to die. And the reason is that every single one of us is a sinner. We've all done things that are wrong. Um, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when you think about what is sin, you know, sin is uh, pretty significant. And here's the issue with sin. Sin is evil, it's bad, it's doing anything wrong. And we've all done that, right? We've all sinned. I, I'm, I'll never forget this person stopped me in a, in a parking lot and they were, they were gonna evangelize me. They were sharing whatever their religious view was. And, and, and apparently it was pretty apparent immediately that th this person was not a Christian. And so in our conversation, I just asked her, I said, uh, well, what I want to know, a question I have for you, is when you die and you stand before God, um, what's going to take care of your sin? How, what, what's going to overcome the sin problem that you have with God? And she just looked at me and she said, well, I don't have a sin problem. I said, really? So in your life, you've never done anything wrong. You've never been mean to anybody. You've never stolen anything. You've never done anything wrong. And she looked at me and she goes, no, no, I never have. Now, I've known, this, I've known this lady for probably about like three minutes. And she's probably thinking, you don't know me. And I said, you do realize that lying is a sin. <laughs> the Bible tells us that every single person has died. And this is the amazing thing about the death of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 tells us what is amazing about the death of Christ. It says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's two things that happen there. One is that Jesus paid for our sins. God is not gonna count our sin against us. But the other thing, there's another problem. You wanna know what else sin is? Sin is doing something bad. You wanna know what else sin is? 
Sin is failing to do the right thing. You don't just have to do something wrong to be a sinner. All you have to do is fail to be perfect. Fail to always do what you should do. And that's the amazing thing about Jesus is he lived a perfect life and we get the credit for the perfect life that he lived. So we get his righteousness and he was punished for our sins. His death was certainly unique. The thing is he was buried. There was no chance for survival. What Jesus went through physically um, would have killed any person. In fact, usually they would have to break the legs of a person who was being crucified because crucifixion could take a long time. But Jesus actually died before they broke his legs. And they put that spear into his side and, and water and blood came out. Jesus died. And he was buried and he was put in a grave. There are many people who say, oh man, um, the, the, the evidence for the resurrection is overwhelming. But the way that they, well, but Jesus couldn't have come back to life, so he just must never have died. No, Jesus died, and Jesus was buried, and he was in a tomb. That, that is a historical fact. But the amazing thing is that Jesus was raised. And the resurrection of Jesus proves something significant. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, and it was de- he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus proves that he is God, that is who, he is who he said he is, that what he did on the cross was an acceptable sacrifice. And all of us who are believers We live in light of that, and the bottom line is that requires a response. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. So what does it take? Have you ever thought about what does it take to be a Christian? And actually, this is the mission of the church. The church does a lot of good things. The church loves people. The church cares about people. The church is an organization that promotes good in the world. But did you know that doing good things is not the primary purpose of the church? The church does good because God loves people. And the church wants, God wants the church to respond to reflect his character and his nature toward people. And God loves us and God cares for us, our spiritual well-being and our physical well-being. And so the church reflects that. But ultimately, the purpose of the church is not to do good. The ultimate purpose of the church is to present the gospel, to deal with people's eternal destination, not just their earthly destination. And so what it takes for a person to be a Christian and what the church does and what Christians do is they preach. I would remind you, brothers, that the gospel I preach to you, and then this is a requirement when somebody who hears it, they have to receive it, which you received, in which you stand. The gospel's true for the moment of salvation, but we stand in the gospel. You know, we're transformed by Christ, but Christians aren't perfect. We struggle, we do all kinds of things wrong, and that same Savior who died on the cross to forgive us for our sins, passed, his work 
is what forgives our sins in the present and in the future. We stand in the gospel. The gospel is not just for the moment of salvation. It is for life. The Bible tells us that we receive this by faith. It's believing and trusting. Look at this, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Even the act of believing is a gift of God. It is something he does, a work that he does in a person's heart to open their heart to be able to believe. So if you know the Lord, that's what God did for you. If you're sitting here today or if you're watching online and you don't yet know the Lord, this is what I would challenge you to do. Pray. Ask God to open your heart. Ask God to show you the truth about who he is. So that's the gospel. That's the good news. It is a spiritual necessity. Here's the other thing is that the resurrection is a historical fact. Um, we live in a world where we watch all kinds of make-believe things on TV. We, we, we watch movies that seem so real. And we actually have a, a culture that believes that we can just make up whatever we want to be true. Uh, people can say, you can have your truth and I have my truth. And, and people have this idea that truth is something they can determine. And truth doesn't actually have to correspond with what's real. But what I want you to know is that God's view of truth is there is truth and there is error, and truth is not determined by what we believe. Truth is determined by what is real. And the resurrection of Jesus is not just something that people believe because it makes them feel better or it makes their life better. The resurrection is true because it really happened. And what God says is that truth has to correspond to reality. It's not a feeling and it's not a thought. It is something real. And so as Christians, we have to have faith, which is trust and belief, but faith is not good enough on its own. Faith has to be placed in something true. So let's talk for a minute about the resurrection. I, I love this. It's so powerful. The next few verses, look at verse 5. And so Jesus rose, and it says, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Now, when you think about what a powerful testimony that is, these things that are listed in these short, um, these short verses are so powerful. Think about this. Jesus appeared to Peter. Now, the disciples and everybody was crushed when Jesus died. They, were, they thought, oh, my goodness, we'd put our faith in Jesus. He's going to bring in the kingdom, and he died. And they were, they were discouraged, they were depressed, uh, th their lives had been shattered. G uh, Peter, you'll remember, denied Jesus. So this is a group of people who knew Jesus well, and Jesus first appears to Peter. Now Peter knew Jesus, he had seen, Pe Peter, he had seen Jesus. Now do you think 
that Peter would see Jesus and be confused about who he was. You know, you could go to, I could go anywhere and tell people I was somebody else. Maybe if I kind of looked like them, I could try to convince them that I was someone else. But I couldn't show up to a close friend and have them not know who I was. Jesus appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12 disciples. He appeared to these 11 disciples in a room. And they saw him. They knew him. I'm just telling you, they would not have looked at Jesus and thought, oh, that kind of looks like Jesus. I'll bet that's Jesus. No, they wanted proof. They would have had to have been sure because they saw Jesus die with their own eyes. John chapter 20 says this. So the other disciples told him, this is the disciples, they've seen Jesus and they see Thomas. Look at what a high standard of proof the disciples had for who Jesus was. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas says to them, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas is like, I've already believed in Jesus and I've been disappointed. I'm not going to like buy into something else. And so the disciples saw Jesus and Thomas is saying, I would need absolute proof. And look what happens. Jesus does show up. Thomas does put his hands, touch Jesus's nail holes and puts his hand in his side. And this is Thomas's response. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. There is no chance that Peter and the disciples were wrong. Even beyond that, it says that more than 500 people at one time, large people were familiar with the ministry of Jesus. Think about this. People had followed him. They had watched his life, his ministry. Their their family members had been healed. They'd heard him preach sermons, and they were cheering for him as he rode into Jerusalem. And they were there. They watched him be crucified. And Jesus shows up, and to more than 500 people at a time, he presented himself. There is no chance that these people who had been seeing Jesus for all these years of ministry, who watched him be crucified, would have been confused, would have been wrong. In fact, Luke chapter 24, verse 17 tells a story about two disciples who are walking down the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them, and they don't immediately recognize him. They're not expecting him to to be there. And so he appears with them, and he walks with them, and he says, so what's going on? And their response to him is, what, you haven't heard about the death of Jesus? I mean, what, do you live in a corner? Everybody knows about this. The fact that Jesus died and that people saw him is massive proof. James, his brother. You know, James didn't believe in Jesus in his ministry. But Jesus appears to his own brother James probably the moment that James becomes a believer. So Jesus presents himself to his own brother. No chance that people misunderstood And finally, the one writing 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, Jesus showed himself to him on his road to Damascus. Paul was killing Christians. And Jesus appears to him in a vision and and says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus 
whom you are persecuting. No chance that people misunderstood the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. By the way, this didn't happen in one day. Acts chapter 3, 1 verse 3 says, And he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This Jesus appeared for over a month preaching about the kingdom of God. The resurrection is a historical fact. You know, some people who just say, oh yeah, well, if you believe the resurrection, um, well, that's good, that's good for you. But, um, have you ever heard somebody say that, that living life as a Christian, it's worth it even if it's not true? You know, Paul actually says that's not true. And uh, if you look at verse 12 through 20, the apostle Paul says this, he says that if Christ has not truly been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, we are misrepresenting God because we're saying something happened that didn't really happen. And if the dead are not raised, even Christ has not been raised, and if Jesus hasn't been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. The, the resurrection of Jesus is a necessity. So we, it's something that we accept by faith. And, I, and we're going to end with this third point, and that is that the resurrection of Jesus has transforming power. It's the power of the gospel. It will change who you are. It will change your future destiny. It says in verse 9, the apostle Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. You know, the resurrection of Jesus transforms life. The Apostle Paul went from a person who was terrible, who, who persecuted Christians, who was a self-righteous person. Um, Paul talks about other people in Titus chapter 3. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, led astray slaves to lusts and passions, passing our days in malice and envy, hating others and being hated by one another. The resurrection of Jesus is transforming. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, I just have to tell you, my life was completely transformed by Christ. I remember the way that I lived, how, how diligent I used to try to, to be a good person and how much I failed. And, I, and as a kid growing up in church and hearing the gospel, I had heard about Jesus and I, I wanted to be a follower of Jesus, but man, I just could not bring myself to do it. And after praying to receive Christ, I used to wonder, what's different about this prayer? than all the other prayers that I prayed. What's different? And you know, a year later, I thought about my life, and it's not that I had no more struggles, but I was a different person. Jesus coming into a person's life completely transforms them. Christians are changed people. And there's a promise not only of spiritual transformation today, but of physical transformation in the future. Uh, I want to just read 
1 Corinthians 15, 20 and following. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. We will receive a resurrection body. 1 Corinthians 15, 35, but some will say, how are the dead to be raised? What sort of body do they have? You foolish person, what what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, but what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. And when we die, our body is planted, and, and, and the resurrection we body we get is not this same physical body. It, it, our, our, our same physical body is a seed that becomes our spiritual body. It's transformed. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. One of the things that we look forward to as believers We look forward to being in heaven, but actually the physical body we have today is a reminder and it is an encouragement that we are looking forward to heaven. Have you ever thought about that as you see yourself age? You know, young people like a 25-year-old, look at a picture of somebody who's 25 and look at a picture of somebody who's 90. It doesn't look the same. Uh, Any of you have aches and pains and things that you just, you know, you just can't run like you used to be able to? Well, here's the amazing thing is that all of that is a reminder that there is something better coming. We are going to be raised with an immortal body that's going to be glorified. We're, gonna not, we're not going to sin. We're, we're going to be perfect. We're going to be in God's presence, able to worship him, able to know him. We are looking forward to a perfect body in the future. Now, the amazing thing about this body, when you think about the resurrection body of Jesus, people recognized him. He was able to eat. He looked the same. There still, he had the marks in his hands and in his side, but he was able to eat, and he also could walk through walls. Like, when you look at the body of Jesus, it is an amazing thing for us to look forward to. And this is one of the things that Jesus says, victory over death. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 55, I don't want to close with the last words of this chapter. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Have you thought about this? That we have purpose, we have meaning, we have a guarantee of fruitfulness because of the resurrection. You know when Jesus says lay up treasure in heaven where neither rust rust nor moth destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal? What we do in this life has eternal ramifications. As a faithful believer who's put their faith in Christ, we're not going to one day lay on our deathbed 
and ask ourselves, what did I live for? What did I give my life to? Becoming a Christian, being spiritually redeemed has a powerful impact both in this life and the next. And so as we wrap this up, um, it's important for us as believers to celebrate the res- resurrection of Christ as something that we do every, every day. But when, when Paul presented the gospel, he said this, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Everybody responds to the truth of the resurrection of Christ. And there's three responses that are recorded in Acts chapter 17. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. I just want you to know that, that there are people sitting in this room who when they heard about the resurrection of Christ, they mocked. That was a starting place, and maybe that's been you, but the church is full of people who at one point in their life mocked. There's another group that says, we will hear you about, we'll hear about this again. And so there's another group that goes, hmm, interesting. Um, I'll think about that more. And I want you to know there are people sitting in church today that are still thinking, well, this is interesting. I want to hear more. But then it says this, but some men joined him and believed. And that is our prayer, and that is what's happened with most of the people sitting in this room, is they believed. And so I just want you to know that those are three important responses. I would encourage you, have the third response. And as a church family, we would love to welcome you, love you, walk alongside you, and be an encouragement to you in your life. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for the resurrection. Lord, for the fact that we do have faith, But our faith is not in just empty hope. It's not in just good ideas. Lord, we have faith in fact. And Lord, I thank you that on the cross, you paid the price for our sins. We we don't live. We're not working. We're not trying to be good enough. Lord, Jesus was good enough for us. And Lord, I just ask that you would give every single person the gift of faith, that they would trust you. Lord, for those of us who know you, help us to live in light of our future and our hope. In your name, amen.